Hello, and you're very welcome to another edition of the Others, the Alan Kinsler podcast, where I look at small parties, groups and independents that have contested Irish elections over the years. This week is the turn of the Monaghan Protestant Association, a group founded in 1926 that had councillors in County Monaghan up until 1999. Again, obviously from the name, they represented the local Protestant interests in the county. They also uh, nominated candidates for general elections and Alexander Hazlitt, although an independent farmer, had three terms as a TD uh, for Monaghan. Thanks to everybody who subscribed to the podcast. If you haven't done so, please do and tell your friends, etc. about it and share episodes on social media and, and, uh, and so on. Thanks especially to those who subscribe to the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash election and supports the podcast and the website. If you want to contact me, I'm at election lit on Twitter, Irish political ephemera on Facebook, Irish election literature at gmail.com and Irish election literature.com is the website. Thank you. After partition, Monaghan had the highest Protestant population in the Free State. And indeed, many of those uh, were unhappy with the partition. Monaghan had looked to, you know, it was one of the three counties, um, along with Donegal and Cavan, in Ulster, that ended up in the Republic of Ireland. And they had been, certainly the Protestant population in the county had been as unionist as people up in Antrim. They had been against home rule. They had something like over 10,000 people in Monaghan signed the Ulster Covenant. Even uh, on a simple level, Monaghan was connected to Belfast via the trains. Uh, was connected to Fermanagh, you know, Fermanagh, Tyrone, Armagh, Belfast. It, Ulster was its hinterland. So there was a feeling of being cut off. And of course, there would have been a large number of volunteers from Monaghan in both the UVF, which was uh, set up to oppose Home Rule, and of course, a large number of um, large numbers from Monaghan went to fight in the First World War as well. In 1920, in the local elections, there would have been five Unionists um, elected to Monaghan Rural Council. Politically, the Unionists were represented. And of course, with the partition, they became known as actually, uh, and started calling themselves ex-Unionists um, because Although some held on hope for the Boundary Commission and there were plenty of submissions from Monaghan for parts of especially northeastern Monaghan and North Monaghan to uh, join the North of Ireland, it, it obviously didn't come to pass. And indeed, uh, they kind of felt kind of felt abandoned by, well, obviously the, you had the South, you had the Republic, the Free State, and they wanted to be in the United Kingdom. They just got on with it. And actually felt more aggrieved, or certainly many of the, many of the 
people there felt more grieved at being let down by the unions in Ulster who were happy to trade them off um, so long as they held their own position within the union. And um, the United Ulster Unionist Council, I think, I'm not sure what you think, in the 20s, uh, representatives from both Cavan, from Cavan, Monaghan and Donegal withdrew from the United Ulster Unionist Council in protest at being, uh, you know, what was the point? Because they weren't, uh, they were abandoned um, by their unionist brethren. You know, there was now no prospect of them being part of the union anymore. They felt that a group was needed to promote Protestant interests. They were not necessarily a sectarian group, but for instance, Protestants would have been major landowners, would have in certain towns, Monaghan, Clonus and so on, they would have been the major businesses in the town. So they were seen as the ratepayers, the major ratepayers within the, um, and landowners within, within the areas. And they felt they needed representation. So the Protestant, originally the Protestant, uh, the County Monaghan Protestant Defence Association, um, which became the Protestant County Monaghan Protestant Association was formed in 1926. So in 1926, you get an idea of the Monaghan Protestant Defence Association uh, objected to the consecration of the county home. The County Monaghan Protestant Defence Association has learned with surprise of the proposal to consecrate the county home a public institution supported by public funds and enters an emphatic protest against what is a gross violation of the rights of Protestants, both those who may have had a right to enter the home as inmates and the ratepayers who continue, who contribute to its support. The association confidently relies on the members of the Board of Health to rescind the resolution already adopted and thereby close an instant which, to say the least, is most regrettable and contrary to the spirit of toleration and goodwill which prevails amongst all classes and creeds in County Monaghan at the present time, and which the association is anxious to maintain. And this is an issue that comes up um, a number of times in the um, involvement, I suppose, of the Catholic Church in the provision of health and so on um, within within the Protestant uh, from the Protestant Association. Another another thing that they had issue with was compulsory Irish. Clogger Protestant Synod's opposition. A strong protest was made against the compulsory teaching of Irish at the annual distribution of prizes at the Clonus High School on Friday by the Chairman of the Board of Governors, Mr. M. E. Knight, and Dr. McManaway, the Bishop of Clogher. Mr. Knight, who presided, said that he was glad to think that at the very first opportunity that was afforded to them, they had made a dignified protest against the compulsory teaching of Irish. 
they were the first representative body in the Free State to voice their objections. Since then, the matter had come much more prominently before the public, and in recent times they had seen weighty pronouncements on the subject from the headmasters of secondary education in the Free State. Their guest that day, the Bishop of Clogher, had dealt with the matter at his last synod, and other bishops had spoken. He really thought that he was voicing the feeling of the laity generally, and he said this in all deference and respect to the heads of the Protestant churches, the bishops of the Church of Ireland, the moderation moderator of the General Assembly and the president of the Methodist Conference, that they might have spoken out long ago with a great deal more firmness on this question. It was a matter of vital importance to Protestant education, both primary and secondary in the Free State. When one thought for a moment how the Protestants in the Free State had comported themselves since its establishment, and how they had upheld the hands of the government in every direction, how by example and precept they had stood for law and order and obedience to the constituted government, he did not think that the government ought not to hear, ought not to turn a deaf ear to their protests. There were two phases of this question he would like to speak upon for a moment. If a protest against compulsory Irish were made from a body such as theirs, they were at once accused of sectarian bigotry. Now nothing could be further from the truth than that. It was true that they would hear more from representative Protestants of objections to compulsory Irish than from their Roman Catholic neighbours, but not one of them who kept their ears open but was fully alive to the fact that there were just as strong an objection on the part of Roman Catholics as Protestants on the question. He pointed out 12 months ago some very learned clergymen of the Roman Catholic Church, well-known educationalists and men whose positions stood high in the world of letters, had expressed themselves more strongly than any Protestant body against compulsory Irish. When they, the Protestants, did open their mouths on this question, they were condemned as being against it simply because the language was Irish. Nothing could be further from the truth. At, the, at their orange meetings in County Monaghan on the 12th of July, they passed resolutions protesting against it and made it clear, and there was no hypocrisy about it, that their objection was not to the Irish language, but to the system of compulsion connected with it. He did not think it necessary to say more beyond this, that their objections stood to this matter as they did from the very beginning, and they felt very strongly in connection with the high school that if a strong united protest had been made by somebody thoroughly representative of the Protestant denominations in the Free State, the government must pay some heed to it. There was a general election coming on and he had no doubt that appeals would be made for the votes of thousands of Protestants in the South and West of the Free State. Protestants would be thoroughly justified to say to those who sought their votes, are you in favour of compulsory Irish or against it? And if you say you stand with the government in favour of it, then you will not get our vote. They could only go on making dignified protests, and he did hope that better counsels would prevail with those who were in authority, and at all events that the existing regulations would be modified. Association also, on behalf of Protestants of all denominations, In the county records its objection to the principle of compulsory Irish in the schools. 
now in force in the Free State, and would urge upon the government to take into consideration the growing force of public opinion against the compulsion in this matter. This opposition is by no means confined to Protestants, and is therefore not of a sectarian character, and as is sometimes alleged, nor is it made in any spirit of hostility to the Irish language, the growth of which will best be will be best secured by freeing it from the element of compulsion. Back to the meeting and um, the the Bishop of Clogher, um he had no objection to the teaching or learning of Irish where people wished to have it. Why should he? Let everyone who wished to learn Irish do so. But why should those who did not want to learn Irish be compelled to learn it? Surely a farmer did not, did not want his children to spend valuable time in school learning Irish instead of voting, devoting that time to subjects which would be necessary for the earning of their bread and butter in the future. That was the way he viewed it. It was far from his mind to find fault with Irish in itself. How would the learning of Irish help peasant boys of Donegal or Kerry or other Irish-speaking districts who emigrated to America, Australia, New Zealand or any other countries abroad where the Irish language was totally unknown. Therefore, the learning of the language was, and he did not say it with any feeling of narrowness, more sentimental than anything else. One of his critics asked him, what about the time when Irish people had been compelled to learn English? And the thought occurred to him, if they had been compelled to learn the English language, it was not the language that would hamper them when they left their home country. Clonus was on the border, and if compulsory Irish was persisted in, it would be only natural that Fermanagh parents would take their children from the Clonus High School and send them to schools in Fermanagh. Why should those in authority wish to thrust the learning of Irish on those who do not wish to learn it and waste time upon it? He did hope and almost believed that the government would not be so unreasonable as to go on pressing it in a compulsory fashion upon those who had been at all times supporters of law and order and constituted authority, no matter who that might be. There were local elections in 1928 and the Protestant Association fielded candidates. And it would be interesting, they didn't field any candidates in the Carrick Cross area. Obviously there wasn't the population there. But Joseph McLean was elected in Castle Blaney. Ernest Gilliard lost out. Um, Colonel J.C.W. Madden, Orr Hamill and William Carson were all elected in Clonus. And William Forgrave and J.M. Henry were also elected in Monaghan. So they had six seats on the county council, which was pretty, pretty decent performance. It was actually the same number of seats as won by Fianna Fáil. Earlier in 1927, the party had, or the group had backed Alexander Hazlitt in his run for the Doyle, and he was elected in Monaghan. Um, he didn't go, um, he stood, he was elected a number of times and stood uh, for the Doyle on six occasions and was elected on three. But he never, um, he never went as a Protestant Association candidate. He always went, ran as an independent farmer. But it also meant that there was, um, in the, the three-seat Monaghan constituency, himself, 
Patrick McCarville and Ernest Blythe were elected in June 27 and in September 1927 Colin Ward, Hazlitt and Ernest Blythe were returned for Monaghan again. So in a way they were involved in national politics although only backing a candidate as opposed to that candidate being a Protestant Association candidate. In 1932, Hazlitt lost his seat, um, just narrowly missing out, as Fianna Fáil um, captured a second seat. In early January 1933, nuns at County Hospital, meeting of County Monaghan Protestants, attempt to identify hospital with one particular religion. On Wednesday evening last, a meeting of the County Monaghan Protestant Association took place in Monaghan, which was the largest and most representative assembly of this association ever held. The following resolution was unanimously adopted. That this meeting, representative of the Protestants of County Monaghan, protest in the most emphatic manner against the recent appointment of a nun as the matron of the county hospital made by the Board of Health and the method adopted in bringing forward the proposal in the absence of the only Protestant representative on the board. The Protestants in County Monaghan pay a large proportion of the rates, and we regard this appointment as an attempt to identify a public institution supported from the rates with one particularly particular religion. We call upon the Department of Local Government and Public Health not to sanction the appointment and that copies of this resolution be sent to the Board of Health, the Minister of Local Government and the Northern Standard. So there was this row over the county hospital on the appointment as a matron, a nun as a matron, and that a hospital receiving public funds should um, not be religious, or indeed, well, show any religious bias. But it also gives that uh, gives you the idea of the sensitivities around religion that were sometimes at play. So there was also a general election in January 1933. And in support of Mr. Alexander Hazlitt, the independent farmer candidate, a meeting was held in the town hall in Monaghan on Monday evening. Mr. William Forgrave said that it was whispered that they were no worse off than other countries. He recently sent cattle to Belfast and before they passed the border at Tynan, he had to put down £16 and some shillings. No matter how bad they were in other countries, they were 40% worse here. Mr E. Knight, solicitor, said that if we were asked to sum up the issue in two words, he would say that it meant prosperity on the one end and on the other ruin. When Mr De Valera's government came into power, they promised a new heaven and a new earth reduction in taxation and increase in employment and they promised or implied that the people that they would not have to pay land annuities. What a terrible disillusionment had taken place in 10 months. They had brought the country to the very brink of destitution. They had increased taxation, unemployment had grown and they had destroyed the only market that existed for their prostitutes. Mr Alex Hazlitt, candidate, who was enthusiastically received said that it was not too much to ask an agricultural county like Monaghan that they should have one man to represent the farmers in the Dáil. That was the minimum of their rights. If things weren't, went on as they were going, there would only be one place for the farmers, and that was bankruptcy. 
They were asking for themselves, the right to live, the right to work, their farms and the right to their markets. He stood for law and order and good government within the terms of the treaty. Mr. H. Pollock said that the whole country should thank God that, thank God that this election had been forced upon them to give them an opportunity of ending the agony of the last six months. An offer had been made by Mr. Cosgrave that they were to come back for two years on the furlough and have no rent to pay. He thought that they had enough common sense to accept that offer and return to power the man who had promised it and had kept his promises in the past. And in that 1933 general election, Hazlitt uh, regained his seat. Incidentally, it was Ernest Blythe he took the seat from rather than one of the Fianna Fáil candidates. Hazlitt polled 22.99% um, of the vote and actually got in via the uh, Fianna Fáil man, Eamon Royce's surplus. So even though he was a Protestant, he was seen as a cross-community or we've seen as more cross-community than uh, Blythe. In nine, late in 1933, the Protestant Association was uh, approached to become part of the United Ireland League, what became Fine Gael, the United Ireland Party. And so the Protestant Association declined the invitation to become part of Fine Gael. So they continued on their own, own path. Then in 1934, there were local elections again. The undermentioned candidates have been adopted by the County Monaghan Protestant Association to again contest the seats at present held on the County Council. And they, having consented to go forward to the Executive Committee, urge all who favour the candidates to, to give them their votes of support. The Clonus electoral area, Mr William Carson, Mr John S Gibson, Lieutenant Colonel JCW Madden, Monaghan Electoral Area, Mr. William Forgrave, Mr. Robert Pollock, and Castle Blaney Electoral Area, Mr. Hugh Hunter. In Castle Blaney, Hugh Hunter uh, was elected. In Clonus, uh, JWC Colonel Madden was elected, as was William Carson, and J.S. Gibson lost out. And William Forgrave and Or Pollock were returned in Monaghan. So they lost a seat in those uh, council elections, but still had five seats on the county council and a number of seats in the various urban district councils as well. And it's interesting too, the um, same as in 1928, but there were actually AOH candidates uh, running as well, Agent Order of Hibernian candidates. In early 1937, the issue of staffing of the Monaghan Mental Hospital uh, came up. The recruitment of new members of the staff of the hospital is regulated by several rules. One, that they be taken in certain proportions from Monaghan and Calvin, and another, that there should be a certain proportion of the staff and Protestant, of Protestant and Presbyterian denomination, and a certain proportion Catholic. Um, a row broke out because certain temporary positions had been uh, put in place for a flu epidemic and they didn't appear to follow the rules. Eventually they decided to advertise the uh, number of positions for Protestants in Cavan, um, from Cavan. So it was kind of, you know, when you think of 
the health service and all these type of things that it was kind of there was a, had to be a balance um, between uh, religions and location. In 1937, we also had a referendum on the Constitution and the Protestant Association were calling for a no vote in that referendum. And in the general election, which I think was held on the same day, Alexander Hazlitt failed to uh, retain the seat he had won in 1933, despite polling over 20% of the vote. In 1938, there was another general election and delegates for the, to a meeting of the Protestant Association in Monaghan yesterday unanimously chose Captain Jack Gillespie, Castle Blaney, to contest the election as an independent. Captain John Gillespie, Castle Blaney, was at the meeting of the Executive Committee of the County Monaghan Protestants Association held in the Orange Hall, Monaghan and was unanimously elected to go forward as a candidate in the coming Doyle election. Mr. M.E. Knight Clonus presided. There was a large attendance of delegates from all over the county. The candidate was proposed by Mr. Derek M. Martin, seconded by Mr. George Gillespie, a member of the County Council, and unanimously adopted. Captain Gillespie is a well-known solicitor practising in Castle Blaney. He was formerly a member of the Bar of Northern Ireland and served on the Land Commission for a number of years. On the death of his father, Mr. John Gillespie, solicitor Castle Blaney, he left the bar and was admitted to a solicitor, taking over his father's practice. The selection of Captain Gillespie as the new independent candidate for Monaghan caused quite a surprise around Castle Blaney. He has never bothered with politics, which should be a strong recommendation for him now. A good sportsman and deservedly popular with all creeds and classes, he is sure to command considerable support. He served with distinction in the Great War, a fact which ex-servicemen in the county should note. And from other viewpoints, he appears to be an ideal candidate. A report of one of the, uh, the meetings. Captain Gillespie, independent candidate, addressed a large and enthusiastic meeting in Emmyvale on Tuesday evening last. Many people came out from the town and from other districts to hear him. Mr. Sharman Ross, who presided, appealed to the people to give Captain Gillespie all the support they could and said he confidently asked for the number one votes on his behalf. Captain Gillespie was pledged neither to one party nor the other, but would work for the good of the people if returned to the Doyle. He then called on the candidate. Captain Gillespie, who was loudly cheered as he came forward, said he had got a lot of election literature that morning. Fianna Fáil, in their address, said that Fine Gael has no policy, that the money necessary to de-rate agricultural land was going to be got by taking away from the social services. His answer to them was although it had been thought that they could get markets all over the world for their produce, everybody now says that only market is the British market. He thought that a long time ago. With the restoration of the British market, about two million bounties £2 million in bounties will be saved and that money could be used to assist the farmers. He would pass from that to the last part of the government party programme. You could, in addition to returning us as your representatives, further strengthen the position of Fianna Fáil party by ensuring the defeat of the Fianna Gael candidate. Everybody, said Captain Gillespie, seems to be anxious to get me in third. 
they'll get an awful shock if I were to get some of them number two votes. He was, at the same time, very pleased that Fianna Fáil thought it worth their while to give him their number threes. Referring to the final part of the Government Party's pamphlet, Captain Gillespie said that all the talk about plotting against the Northern Protestants was absurd. Going on his own policy, he impressed upon the people that he would make no vote-catching promises, but if returned, would do his best for them all, would work for everything that was for the good of the country and the farmers. They would want him, he proceeded to say something about partition. Both of the big, big parties were satisfied that this country should be united. He was of the same opinion, for once the independent and the two other parties seemed to agree. He was definitely against partition, but the ways and means of bringing about the union of the country was where he differed. He did not think it was going to be bought, out, bought about by a march on Derry. They were far too stiff-necked up there to allow that to happen. They would fight and you would have a repetition of what happened when the union be between Ireland and England was made centuries ago. He was glad the government had tried other markets and saw definitely that the only market was the British market. Self-sufficiency, he proceeded, could be far too dearly bought. This is a small country and they could not be independent of any other country in the world. Can Britain, France or any country be independent? France and England fought together in the last war, although at one time France tried to wipe England out. In this country we must in this country we've got to get into our heads that we must soon form some alliance for our defence. It was ridiculous to suggest that we could ourselves defend our country from outside aggression. Not aggression from Britain, but from countries like Germany and Italy who were out for conquests. There were only three countries now who seriously wanted peace. Britain, France and Ireland. All the others want war. They had enough war in this country. He wanted to see the farmers prosperous and in a strong position. On the question of partition, when the farmers here were as prosperous or better off than the northern farmers, they will want to come in. They are business people up there. He knew the north and its people and that 200,000 votes were cast against the government there. Those people wanted to be in with us. The farmers of this country, for whom loans will undoubtedly have to be provided, must not be allowed to lose heart. People who were despondent were the people who were going to rise revolution. This is what happened in counties on the continent. Some people called it communism, some socialism, but it had its rock and bottom in people not being able to earn a decent living. He maintained that derating would be a better plan than subsidies and debating would also mean getting rid of a fair amount of officials who are employed checking the rates to be collected. One of the most terrible curses of party government is that every party must strive for itself, right or wrong, and forget the duties of government. Take for example the industrial alcohol factories. Everybody knew it was going to be a failure and will live to see the day when it will be gone where you would be able to sell your potatoes at three pence per stone and petrol would cost you two and nine a gallon. In conclusion, he asked them for their support as an independent with independent ideas, out to do what he could for them. Really interesting to talk about, you know, he was talking about war, um, Ireland, in a way, Ireland's neutrality and partition, you know, that if we, if we improved down the south, certain elements in the north would only be too delighted to join us and that it was an economic matter i suppose
In that general election, John Gillespie polled 5,984 votes, 18.8% of the vote, and uh, didn't win a seat. But again, was close. But maybe the slight drop in vote was a sign of uh, possibly of, of things to come in, in Monaghan. For the 1942 local elections, there were changes in um, boundaries and number of seats and so on. And the Protestants Association won a seat in Monaghan with William Forgrave, in uh, Clonus with George Gillespie, in Castle Blaney with H. Hunter. And so they were reduced to three um, seats on the council from a higher six. In 1943, there was a general election. At a meeting of the County Monaghan Protestant Association, Mr. Alexander Hazlitt, farmer and auctioneer, um, who had served in the Dáil for 10 years, was unanimously selected as candidate for the forthcoming election. To the electors of County Monaghan, ladies and gentlemen, I have again been nominated by the County Monaghan Protestant Association as a candidate for election to one of the three seats for County Monaghan and Doyle Aaron. I am very well known to most of you, as I was born and have lived all my life in the county. Being primarily a farmer and the son of a farmer, I confidently claim to have intimate knowledge of the needs and exacting conditions of farming life. Whilst for over 30 years I have taken a substantial share in the public and business life of the community. On three previous occasions you elected me as your member, so that over a period of ten and a half years I had the high honour of representing my native county in the Dáil. I sincerely thank you for that confidence reposed in me, and trust that in some measures I have been worthy of it. I have always supported the measures which I believed were best for our land, and never hesitated to oppose those which I believed would be to its detriment and I have endeavoured at all times to alleviate or get remedied the grievances of my constituencies, constituents, and will continue to do so. I have no personal interest to serve, but such knowledge and powers as I possess, I am prepared to give to the service of my native land, and I stand as an independent farmer can and farmer candidate. To support the interests of law, order and good government, to foster a more rational attitude to neighbouring states and take full advantage of our position in the Commonwealth of Nations so as to secure a better economic advantages for our people both now and in the post-war period. To seriously consider the precarious condition of our main industry agriculture and to formulate a permanent policy that will give farmers and agricultural workers a chance to live and succeed, to encourage the best husbandry to foster our cattle and other livestock industry and obtain a more equitable price for them, to increase the amount of agricultural grant in relief of rates, to reduce the rate of interest on loans to farmers for productive purposes, to rationalise the several relief schemes to amalgamate the funds and provide still more employment in fuel schemes, road improvement, forestry, drainage, land clearance and reclamation all of which will be a national asset. To change the present system of primary education to one more suited to the needs of an agricultural country, more likely to, 
inculate a love of country life in rising in the rising generation. For no further increase in the national debt, except for definitely capital expenditure, unchecked borrowing can only increase our already abnormally high cost of living. Fellow electors, on these grounds I confidently ask your first preference votes. Agriculture is our basic industry, and unless it is made right, no other industry or business can prosper. Won't you help put it right? Faithfully yours, Alex Hazlitt. In that 1943 general election, Hazlitt polled 5,078 votes, 17.2% of the vote, and again finished fourth, failing to win a seat. In early 1944, in January 1944, a following statement was issued by the County Monaghan Protestant Association. The County Monaghan Protestant Association has learned with deep concern of the speeches made last month in Monaghan and Enniskillen by the Most Reverend Dr O'Callaghan, Roman Catholic Bishop of Clogher, and extensively published by the press. In these speeches, His Lordship stated the more important positions in business houses in Monaghan Town are closed to Catholics, and that in the 26 counties Catholics are, where it is possible to do it, trampled upon and do not get their just rights. The Bishop also complained in Enniskillen about the manner in which the Northern Standard reported his speech in Monaghan and stated that the editor is a Catholic, although the paper is under Protestant management. And without going any further, this in itself in part disproves his allegation that no important positions are given to Roman Catholics in Monaghan town. While there are many other examples apparent to anybody familiar with that town. On the other hand, there are very few Protestants employed by Catholics in the town in positions importance or otherwise. Dealing with the county at large, the reported statement of his Lordship that Roman Catholics, who roughly speaking are in the majority of six to one in this county, are trampled upon, would not be taken seriously by anybody who has lived in this county for any length of time were it not for the position occupied by the speaker. Now that the Protestants have been seriously criticised, the association takes the opportunity of voicing some of the many grievances and disabilities under which Protestants suffer in this country and which show that far from trampling upon the majority, they are a people who have every justification and right to complain of the treatment meted out to them. Although the Protestant in this county represents roughly one-sixth of the local population and have proved themselves to be law-abiding citizens, making a valuable contribution in many directions to the well-being of the state, not engaged in subversive activities, not a single position of any importance has been given to a Protestant. Every position of importance in the county, legal, public bodies, medical services, public institutions and all public offices without exception, whether the appointment was made by the government or local public bodies, has been given to Roman Catholics. If his Lordship's words have any effect, it should only be to rouse the Protestant minority to a realisation of the unfair discrimination suffered by them in the matter of appointments and to the entire lack of consideration given to them as a reward for their exemplary citizenship and should make them draw more closely together for the protection of their interests. So interesting uh, outburst by the bishop and then, you know, obviously there were tensions, there must have been tensions 
under the surface. In February, uh, a few weeks later, the County Monaghan Protestants Association has issued a further statement concerning references made by His Lordship Most Reverend Dr O'Callaghan, Bishop O'Claher, in recent addresses at Monaghan and Enniskillen relative to the more important positions in business houses in Monaghan town being closed to Catholics. In our issue, January the 14th, we published the original statement of the Protestant Association. The recent statement is on much the same lines, the only new matter introduced being the result of a general survey of employment in the town. It will suffice to quote this part of the statement, which is as follows. In a letter to the Irish Independent published on January the 12th, 1944, his lordship complains that the principal business concerns in Monaghan are in the hands of Protestants and that in six of the establishments there is a total of 95 indoor hands employed consisting of heads of departments, office staff and shop assistants, all Protestants, with the exception of one Roman Catholic employed in a minor capacity. When his lordship took the trouble to get the figures for six of the business premises in Monaghan town, it was a pity he did not complete the task by making a general survey of the employment given in the town by business premises owned by both Protestants and Roman Catholics. As it is evident that the selection of so few isolated cases can only give a misleading picture. The association has made a general survey of the number of employees not in six but in all the Protestant business houses in Monaghan town which reveals that of the total of 390 employees employed by Protestants 234 are Roman Catholics, 166 are Protestants. His Lordship now suggests that in addition to employing 78 more Roman Catholics than Protestants, these firms should employ Roman Catholics to run and control their businesses for them, thereby denying employment to their own Protestant people in the same way as they are denied employment by the state. At the same time, this association has also taken a survey of a number of Protestants employed by the numerous Roman Catholic business houses in the town and finds that there are less than 10 Protestants employed by Roman Catholics in any capacity. The row uh, over employment in Monaghan town uh, continued on and there was a statement um, from Mr. Samus Johnson, um, a, a councillor, with reference to the Protestant um, statement. I have noted the recent correspondence in the public press between Most Reverend Dr O'Callaghan and certain others on the non-employment of Catholics in the more important positions in business establishments owned by Protestants in the town of Monaghan. In its initial stages, the controversy centred largely around the subject of education about which his lordship was best able to speak but there, appears a there appeared a statement by the Monaghan Protestant Association introducing issues that are far outside the scope of the original controversy. In these circumstances, and for reasons for which I'll refer to later, I can no longer remain silent. In previous communication to the newspapers, Dr O'Callaghan had mentioned that of the 95 indoor hands employed in six Protestant business establishments in the town, only one employee was a Catholic. The association now proclaims that his lordship had failed to make a general survey of the employment given in the town in business establishments owned by both Protestant and Catholics, and proceeds with what purports to be a general survey to show that 
While Protestant business establishments gave very generous employment to Catholics, Catholic business houses give very little employment to Protestants. At the outset, it is necessary to recall the original complaint to the effect that the more important positions in the business houses of the town were closed to Catholics was made on occasion of a prize distribution in a secondary school. On such occasions, it is usual to stress the advantage of an advanced education, but here it had to be admitted that, because of a peculiar position, these advantages were forfeited to a considerable degree. In answer to that complaint, it is of no avail to point out to the amount of general employment given by Protestants to Catholics. There is a question of employment for which an advanced education might be looked upon as a fitting preparation. Employment in the capacity of a domestic as a of a domestic servant, farm labourer, carter or a yardman is not to the point. And when the Protestant Association so blatantly parades the number of Catholics whom they employ in one or other of these capacities, no one here is in the least bit impressed. A well known English political writer describes England's eighteenth England's policy towards the native Irish in the eighteenth century as a policy designed to keep them poor and to make them poor and keep them poor. To that policy, or at any rate, to the latter part of it, the Protestant Association on their own showing still firmly adhere. adhere. For the benefit of those who are not familiar with the neighbourhood, it is well to state that according to the latest census returns, Monaghan Town has a population of 4,780. Also, that situated as it is within five miles of the border, its market area is not very extensive. In the town, Catholics form about three-fourths of the population, while the neighbourhood generally, Catholics are to Protestants in the proportion of about two to one. Your readers will readily appreciate that in such a relatively small town and with six business establishments on the scale already referred to, there is very little business left for anyone else. Accordingly, they will not be surprised to learn that of the business establishments owned by Catholics, the six largest employ among them a total of indoor staff of fewer than 30. Of these, four employees are Protestants, from which it would seem to follow that in the matter of employment in positions of trust and responsibility, the Catholic business people of this town are much less discriminating on sectarian grounds than are their Protestant fellow traders. Much more eloquent, however, is the fact that the, these very extensive business concerns are catering for a community that is so largely Catholic. If we are to judge from the tone of the recent statement by the Protestant Association, it would seem that their own showing of these same Protestant traders are not very appreciative of the goodwill and patronage so long accorded to them by their Catholic customers. But what has impelled me to enter the controversy at this stage is the fact that the Protestant Association have availed of this opportunity for the purpose of ventilating the grievances of those whom it represents in the matter of public appointments in the county. The statement complains that although Protestants in the county represent roughly one-sixth of the total population, not a single position of any importance has been given to a Protestant. At present, I have the honour to be a member of Shannon a position for which my main qualification has been my association with the public boards of the county for the greater part of my life. Accordingly, I think that I am in a position to speak with some knowledge of this alleged grievance. Let us examine the situation as it existed when the new local bodies were called into the existence under the Local Government Act of 1898. Under the Emancipation Act of some 70 years previously, Catholics were entitled to all the rights and privileges 
is already enjoyed by the Protestant fellow countrymen. Nevertheless, under the Dublin Castle machine, the Grand Jury and the Poor Law Guardian Boards, the one-sixth Protestant minority in County Monaghan were able to secure for themselves practically every lucrative public position in the county. It is true that the new boards attempted to correct the balance as vacancies occurred, and I am sure no reasonable person would criticise the members for their efforts to restore a measure of justice. It seems a pity that the County Monaghan Protestants do not become more vocal regarding the treatment of the Catholic minority in the Sixth County area. A plea from them for some measure of fair play for Catholics in that part of Ireland might be listened to, and an admission that they have not been deprived of any of their rights, and that they have got absolute fair play since the setting up of our native government, and would be a welcome gesture. The only complaint that Monaghan Protestants can have could only be based on the loss of privileges to which they never had a moral right. It cannot be denied that the system of appointments to local and the state services is specifically devised to ensure the appointments shall be made on merit alone. If the Protestants cannot successfully compete with their Catholic neighbours, whether through inferior intelligence or through failure to learn the national language, they ought not to make charges that are without foundation in order to cover up the facts. They can scarcely lay claim to the very few patronage appointments that now are available. But even in this category, they have not been overlooked. So fairly vicious there. And obviously there was, um, shall we say, some underlying tensions. In, in May 1944, um, there was going to be an election in June 44, and Protestant Association and the election. Following the meeting of the County Monaghan Protestant Association on Tuesday evening, the following statement was issued to the press. At a large and representative meeting of the County Monaghan Protestant Association held in Monaghan on Tuesday last, it was unanimously decided not to put forward a candidate at the coming Doyle election as a protest against this unnecessary appeal to the country. With the serious unrest and heavy expense involved at this time of grave world crisis. So in that 1944 general election, they weren't putting up a candidate. But James Dillon was running as an independent. Dillon, previously with Fine Gael, had resigned from the party in 1942 over its support for Irish neutrality. He was vehemently anti-Nazi and anti-German, um, anti-fascist actually, and he, he felt that Ireland should side with the Allies during the Second World War. So it was felt that this Protestant vote, now that there was no going to be no Protestant candidate or a candidate nominated by the Protestant Association, it was felt that Dylan might do well uh, from that vote because of his particular views. Without a Protestant Association back candidate, um, Dylan actually polled very well, uh, polling 8,000, topping the poll and increasing his vote by a couple of thousand. There were local elections again in 1945. Hugh Hunter held, uh, held a seat in Castle Blaney for the Protestant Association. In uh, Clonus, uh, George Gillespie um, won a seat. And in Monaghan itself, William Forgrave held the, the seat. So 
no change, still three seats for the uh, Protestant Association on Monaghan County Council. In 1948, there was a general election, and where in the previous election they had stood aside, this time uh, Mr. A. H. Montgomery selected as candidate. At a meeting of the County Monaghan Protestant Association held in the Orange Hall, Mr. Arthur Henry Montgomery of Carnava House, Castle Blaney, was selected to go forward as candidate at the forthcoming election. Mr. Montgomery is a well-known figure and an extensive farmer in Bally Bay District, and he and his family have a long association with the County of Monaghan. He is the son of the late Reverend Alexander Nixon Montgomery, for who for many years was rector of Ochmullen Parish Church, and whose father was the second son of Major Montgomery of Bessmount Park, Monaghan. In the year 1924, he married Anne Elizabeth Mary Montgomery, third daughter of Dr. Alexander Nixon Montgomery, who was well known in Dublin, being head of the vaccine department. Mr. Montgomery himself was educated at St. Columba's College, Dublin, and on leaving school entered Trinity College in 1915. The First World War intervened and he answered the call of his country and joined the Royal Irish Regiment and was subsequently attached to the Ulster Division. He was severely wounded at Messine and being demobilised he returned to the family residence at Carnivay and has since been directing his time to agriculture and its kindred interests. He volunteered for service in the recent war but on account of wounds received in the 1914-18 war was not accepted. His eldest son however enlisted as a private in the Irish Guards reaching the rank of sergeant. He was with his regiment on D-Day on the landing in France and crossed the Rhine in the advance into Germany. He was subsequently selected as Guard of Honour in the Governor-General of Northern Ireland and on being demobilised joined his father on, joined his father, father on the farm. Mr Montgomery is a thoughtful and intelligent Irishman who takes a keen interest in all questions affecting his county. During the campaign, James Dillon had a little dig at him. Regarding the Protestant Association candidate, Mr. Dillon said that it surprised him that a distinguished Irishman, Mr. Montgomery, should elect to go forward as the representative of a one section. He, in his travels abroad, boasted that he was the elected representative, irrespective of creed or class of the people of his constituency, where there was no religious bitterness. Why Mr. Montgomery should elect to cut himself off from his neighbours, as if he or anybody else did not enjoy the ordinary rights to enter Doyle Aaron as a representative of the people, surprised him. So a little dig about um, the Protestant Association there. And here's Montgomery's message to the electorate. To the electors of County Monaghan. That's actually very similar to Alexander Hazlitt's, but... Ladies and gentlemen, I have been nominated by the County Monaghan Protestant Association as a candidate for the election to one of three seats for County Monaghan in Doyle Aaron. I was born in County Monaghan and except from my time at school and college in Dublin and during my active service in the 1914-18 war, I have lived my life in the county. Being a farmer, I confidently claim to have intimate knowledge of the needs and exacting conditions of farming life. I have no personal interest to serve, 
such knowledge and powers as I possessed, I am prepared to offer to the service of my native land. I stand as an independent and farmer candidate. 1. To support the interests of law, order and good government. 2. To foster a more friendly spirit towards neighbouring states, to take full advantage of our unique position in the Commonwealth of Nations, so as to secure better economic conditions for all our people. 3. To formulate a long-term agricultural policy that will give farmers and workers a fair chance to live and succeed. Derate agricultural land. To encourage the best methods of husbandry. To foster and increase the production of our livestock and livestock products. To endeavour to again obtain parity of price in the British market. 4. To support a policy of decentralisation of public service. To amalgamate the monies voted for unemployment and relief schemes. And provide employment on road improvement, forestry, drainage, clearance, land clearance and reclamation and housing. All of which will be national assets. 5. To reduce the present exorbitant national expenditure on fantastic schemes. And use the money to increase old age pensions and national health insurance benefits. 6. To change the present system of primary education to one more suited the needs of an agricultural country and more likely to inculcate a love of country life in the rising generation. To discontinue the compulsory teaching of other subjects through the medium of the Irish language. 7. To oppose any change in the system of election by proportional representation which was designed to safeguard the interests of minorities. Fellow electors, on these grounds, I confidently ask your first preference votes. Agriculture is our basic industry. Unless it is made right, no other industry or business can prosper. Won't you help to put it right? Faithfully yours, Arthur Montgomery. And in that 1948 election, uh, Montgomery polled 4,200 votes, 14.68% of the vote. And uh, again, finished fourth, just missing out on a seat. But as you can see, the kind of hardcore, well, the Protestant vote seemed to be declining over time. In 1950, there were local elections. And in Monaghan, uh, the County Monaghan Protestant Association, representing a section of the community, which is of no little importance to the county, who are large ratepayers and are generally interested in the prosperity and well-being of the county and its people as a whole, has selected the following candidates for the coming county council elections. In Castle Blaney, Mr Joseph Henderson. In Clonus, Mr Robert Houston. And in Monaghan, Mr Alex Hazlitt. These candidates are pledged, if elected, to use their votes and influence for the efficient and economical management of the affairs of the county, divorced from politics, which should have no place in local government, to see that the rates, which have become such a crushing burden on all ratepayers, are brought down to the lowest figure consistent with efficiency, to oppose all extravagant and unnecessary expense and generally serve the interests of the whole community. On these grounds, they confidently appeal for your votes and support of all who approve of the programme 
on which they offer themselves for election. Signed, George W. Knight, Honorary Secretary. And in that uh, 1950 local elections, Henderson was returned in Castlebany, Houston in Clonus, and Hazlitt in Monaghan. So the Protestant Association held on to its three seats on Monaghan County Council. There was a general election in 1951, and James Lambert Hazlitt, um, son of the late Alex Hazlitt, former TD, was nominated by the Protestant Association to contest the election. Fellow electors, I am a candidate for election to a seat in Doyle Aaron for County Monaghan. It is impossible for me to visit you all in the few days before the election. So I am publishing this address to respectfully ask you for your support and to give you some reasons why I should merit your first preference vote. One, I am a native of County Monaghan and having lived here all my life, am more likely to be acquainted with local conditions and needs than a total stranger. And further, I believe that at least one of the three seats should be held by a County Monaghan farmer. Two, my father was a member of Doyle Aaron for over 10 years and from my intimate association with him, I am familiar with many of the problems which arise from time to time in connection with legislation. Three, I hold most strongly that the farmer and his family should receive an adequate return for their labour and obtain equal prices with Northern Ireland and Great Britain for their livestock and other agricultural products, especially in the case of pork, milk and eggs. Many promises have been made on these subjects by others which remain unfulfilled. 4. I am fully alive to the interests of the business community, realising that prosperous times for the farmer and his family are reflected in everyday business and in the life of the entire community. Further, the prosperity of the farmer means the prosperity of all who work on the land, ensuring better wages and happier conditions all round. 5. I believe that many urgent reforms are both necessary and desirable in local government administration. The crushing burden of rates should be reduced by constructive measures of economy. 6. Judging my past experience, no reliance can be placed on the promises of the outgoing government, and as an independent candidate, I could not conscientiously support a government who so readily repudiated their pre-election promises. If you do me the honour of returning me as one of your representatives, you can rely on that my influence will be used in the cause of better social conditions and fair and impartial administration. Vote number one, Hazlitt, the independent and farmer candidate. In that 1951 general election, Hazlitt polled 5,127 votes, 18.3% of the vote, and uh, wasn't enough to get him elected. Indeed, he was nominated again three years later in 1954, where he polled 4,685 votes, uh, getting 16.91%, but again failed to be elected. In the 1955 local elections, Joseph Henderson was running in Castle Blaney, Robert Houston in Clonus, and Jay Lambert Hazlitt in Monaghan. All three were elected. In the 1957 general election, Robert Houston was nominated by the Protestant Association. 
and he ran as an independent farmer candidate. Mr. Houston speaks at Mullahara. More practical interest should be taken in promoting causes, cause of agriculturalists. A crowded hall at Mulhara with Mr. R. J. Kerr presiding on Tuesday evening welcomed Mr. Robert Houston, the independent farmer's candidate, who addressed them. Mr. Houston, who was, who was enthusiastically greeted, said he was no stranger in the county of Monaghan, where he would lived all his life, nor was he a stranger to the people amongst whom he found himself that evening, where he knew he had many supporters on whom he could rely when the polling day came around. Owing to the short time, it was not possible to hold as many meetings as he would like or send an individual letter to the voters. But in the standard of last week and again this week, he'd set out in plain words what his policy was and the reason why he claimed he should get the support of the voters. As perhaps all of them might have seen in the papers, he would like to tell them what he stood for. And as there was one subject to which a good deal of attention was directed at present, he would make it perfectly clear that the party with which he was identified were absolutely opposed to these outrages across the border on our friendly neighbours and the setting up of unlawful forces in any part of the 26 counties. He said he would like to point out that the Protestant Association was the first organised body in the country to adopt and publish in the newspaper a resolution condemning these raids and calling on the government of the Republic to take steps to put an end to them. We had sent a copy of our resolution to Mr. Costello, and it was only fair to say that he courteously acknowledged it. That was immediately after the raid on Linnesky, and you probably saw it uh, appeared in the Standard and also in the Irish Times and other daily papers. So let no one misunderstand what our attitudes towards illegal armed forces and raids, no matter where they have their origin. In his election address, he relied strongly on the fact, as is well known to many of them, he was a farmer earning his living from that source. He knew the difficulties from which the farmer suffers, high rates and no certain prices for what he produces. Recently, he had personal experience of a return from a factory where many of them send their pigs and it was one of the worst he ever experienced. Something must be done to correct this so that there is poor encouragement to expand production, which is the cry from people sitting in comfortable armchairs in Dublin and have no practical experience of the difficulties which they have to contend from day to day. Look, he said, at the price of fertilisers. Look at the duty levied off so many of the things the farmer needs. He said he held most strongly that the wealth of this country was in the land. They had a market at their door across the channel for everything the farmer had to sell, which was greatly sought after by other nations, hundreds of thousands of miles away. And it was his contention that if the farmers were given reasonable facilities by way of loans at reasonable rates without red tape to increase their stock, improve their buildings and where necessary purchase machinery, fertilizers at a reasonable price and above all some definite policy to ensure what he was going to receive next year and the year after. Then he believed they would find the farmer would pay his part and everyone who depends on a living from him not alone himself and his family but his workers the shopkeeper with whom he deals he believed they would enter a period of prosperity. There would be better times and a better living for everybody. He said that the burden of high rates was only too well known 
and he feels most strongly that there were things now borne by the rates which should be borne by the government's funds. This was something on which he felt most strongly and would do everything in his power to remedy. He felt that more practical interest should be taken by whatever government was in power in the day-to-day -day life of the farmer who was the backbone of the country. He was in favour of an increase in the old age pensions as he knew how hard it was for them to live on what they were are receiving. He and many of his workers had already been round a great part of the county and everywhere they went they had met with nothing but approval and promises of support but what mattered was the polling day and he wished to impress on everyone who approved of him to go to poll early on Tuesday next and give him their number one vote. And after the reception they had given him there that evening, it was an indication of the spirit and determination which prevailed generally over the county, and that his candidature met with approval. So really interesting there in that he's actually making reference to the border campaign and how the Protestant Association opposed it and so on, as well, of course, as farmers' issues. In that 1957 election, Houston polled 3,594 votes, 14.18%. So again, the vote dropping steadily from its peak. I'd made mention there of the border campaign and the world issues at play. And in um, December 57, council member walks out in protest. A scene occurred at the monthly meeting of Clonus Urban Council on Friday, that, on Friday when the only representative of the Protestant Association on the council, Mr Robert Malloy, walked out of the council chamber as a protest against a resolution dealing with political prisoners. As the discussion continued following Mr Malloy's departure, an elderly man named Barney Burns, a local carter, entered the chamber un unannounced and proceeded to address the member and make a protest against his failure to secure employment. The trouble arose when Captain James O'Grady proposed that representative representations be made to the Minister for Local Government by the Urban Council to release the political prisoners on parole for three days during the Christmas period of Christmas Day, New Year's Day and Little Christmas Day. Mr Ormeloy, this matter should not arise here at all. We are here representing people of all creeds and classes. We have the government here elected by the people for the people to deal with these things. I object to anything political at this council. We are here to transact the business of the town. This council has continued for a good number of years. Never at any time throughout any campaign was there representations for the release of prisoners. If this resolution is passed, I am leaving the council chamber. I propose that the representation be made to the Minister for Justice that current prisoner be released for, forthwith. Mr Malloy then rose to leave when the chairman shouted, Come back here, Bob, it's not passed yet. After further persuasion from other members, Mr Malloy then resumed his seat. But when the chairman remarked, I don't think this is political, Mr Malloy again rose to his feet and moved towards the door. Mr Malloy loudly, If you are going to rule that it is not political, I am leaving. I object to anything of this, of this time. It is time for peace and goodwill. Mr O'Connor, is there any peace or goodwill extended to the men in the curra? Mr Malloy, they are. You are being political again. I am leaving. Several members shouted, Come back, Bob. Mr Malloy continued towards the door and left the meeting. The chairman then intimated that he would second 
Captain O'Grady's resolution as he considered it non-political. So there was some debate over the prisoners in the Curra, which caused um, the Protestant Association councillor to walk out of the uh, Clonus UDC meeting. With a word of a referendum to change the voting system, um, in late 1950, I think it was held in 59, but in late 58, protest against threat to abolish PR. The County Protestant Association at a meeting of the Central Committee, the following statement was passed, the following resolution was passed, that the association registers, registers that the associations registers its protest against the threat to abolish the electoral system of proportional representation on the grounds that doing so would be inf infringement on the rights of minorities. And the Protestant Association campaigned against uh, this referendum and again later um, when it was when the, the change in the voting system um, was again about bought before in 1968 because they felt organizations like themselves wouldn't get proper representation. In 1960 there was uh, local elections again and a major error on behalf of one of the candidates Robert Houston of the Protestant Association's candidates in the Clonus area his his nomination papers arrived late so he couldn't stand or he wasn't standing in the election which meant they were just running James Wright in Monaghan and uh, Joseph Henderson in Castle Blaney. Henderson lost his seat in Castle Blaney and Wright held on to his seat in um, in Monaghan but it went that it meant that the uh, Protestant Association had gone from three seats to just one seat in those local elections. Um, it was quite a quite a blow to the organisation. There was a general election in 1965, and for the first time in a long time, the Protestant Association didn't nominate a candidate. However, there was a shock nomination for Fine Gael, who produced three candidates, who nominated three candidates for the first time. One of them, Billy Fox. In an interview, he was asked if he'd taken an active interest in politics before. No, replied Mr. Fox. I am a member of the Protestant Association, of course, and I do feel that this important minority body in the community is entitled to stronger representation in Leinster House than it has had for many years. So Mr. Fox was actually a member, Billy Fox was actually a member of the Protestant Association and was running for Fine Gael in this election. He wasn't elected, he polled 3,901 votes, but came easily came second of the three Fine Gael candidates and indeed was returned um, in 1969 to the Dáil, winning a seat in Monaghan. In local elections in 1967, the Protestant Association fielded three candidates. Edward Robinson winning a seat in Castle Blaney, William Mackerel winning a seat in Clonus, and James Wright holding on to his seat in Monaghan. So they were back up to three seats on the county, on Monaghan County Council. 
in the, as I mentioned earlier, in 1968, there was a referendum on changing the voting system. And there was a debate in Monon Urban Council at which one of the Protestant Association councillors noted that I am inclined to think that the abolition of PR would cut out the minorities. And for that reason, I agree with the motion. And he also stated that uh, it was uh, quite a number of people, I suggest, would not be sitting around this table tonight <laughs> under the straight vote. And the Protestant Association issued a directive to its members asking them to place their X opposite the kneel and no on both papers, and has impressed on members the importance of voting. In 1968, strong refutations of the allegations made by County Fermanagh Unionist representatives Captain John Brooke MP and Mr Harry West MP come this week from Dr the Bishop of Clogher, Dr. E. O'Callaghan, and the Monaghan County Manager, Mr. G. Cannon. The Bishop's statement goes into greater detail than his initial statement on the position regarding the allocation of local authority housing in Fermanagh, and also deals with the MP's allegation of discrimination in local and central government appointments in County Monaghan. Demanding an apology from Mrs. Brook and West, the County Manager invites the MPs to inspect the Council records regarding appointments. The Protestant Association issued a response. Protestant body deplores MP statement. We deplore statements by outside politicians that may tend to disturb good community relations in this county, said a statement issued by the County Monaghan Protestant Association, signed by its chairman, Venerable Archdeacon Or W. Hevener, and Secretary Mr. George W. Knight. We would, however, point out that a number of our Protestant people occupy responsible public positions and we confidently look forward in the future to more of them applying for and obtaining on merit local and central government employment at all levels, the statement continued. Speaking on behalf of our people, we hold that we have always made a worthy contribution to the peace and prosperity of our country and most certainly we will continue to foster the Christian spirit of good community relations. The association, which represents Protestants in public affairs in Monaghan, was commenting on a statement made by Charles, or Captain John Brooke MP and Mr Harry West MP with regard to the employment of Protestants in local and central government positions in Monaghan. As the troubles in Northern Ireland continued on, we get a piece on... Um, Monaghan public body's reaction to internment threat. Reaction to the Taoiseach's recent announcement that he was considering the reintroduction of the Offences Against the State Act to provide for internment without trial caused a flurry at meetings of Monaghan County Council and the Monaghan Vocational Educational Committee this week. An unusual situation was reached at Monday's meetings of the Monaghan County Council whether there was a disregard by party affiliation by Chairman Mr John Fitzpatrick and other councillors in a vote taken on a resolution proposed by Councillor James Deary condemning the Taoiseach and the Government on the proposed move. When there were six votes from each side, with three Protestant Association members and two Fianna Fáil councillors abstaining from the vote, irrespective of the direct negative to Mr Deary's proposal, moved by Senator Jay Brennan, a, a tie was reached, but the chairman, Mr Fitzpatrick, who voted against his own party and against the resolution, refused to exercise a casting vote and terminated the meeting by leaving the chair, remarking that 
that the agenda was completed. What's interesting here is, so you've emotional internment um, and plans to introduce internment in the Republic by the Taoiseach Jack Lynch and the Protestant Association abstain to keeping, I suppose, keeping out of it. In early 1971, uh, plans for community schools were being raised. The Minister for Education, Mr Faulkner, told the Doyle yesterday he was not inflexible on the community schools plan. If it should become necessary, I have already informed the House that resulting from the various discussions with the parents throughout the country, I will have a look at the position. This does not mean I will change my stand. If I find in any aspect I should reconsider it, I am not inflexible. I have not stated here I am not changing my plan. I will lean over backwards as long as I am Minister to help the Protestants in this country. Since I became Minister, I have done a very considerable amount to help out in their education problems. Anything I can do within the limits of possibility to help them, I will do it. Mr Garrett Fitzgerald asked on what basis did the Minister claim to speak for the Protestant community in the light the resolution of the recent Presbyterian General Assembly and the statement of Kenneth Milne, Secretary of the Church of Ireland Board of Education. Mr Faulkner said that on many occasions he had met representatives of the Protestant community and it was made clear to him that the Protestant community wanted schools conducted by those of their own faith and did not accept the vocational schools as being suitable schools for their community. The minister quoted from a circular put out in August 1969 by the County Monaghan Protestant Association to this effect. They wanted transport catchment area extended and he granted it. Mr Fitzgerald asked, was the minister serious in putting that to the House that the County Monaghan Association was spokesman for the Protestant community? There were bodies that spoke for the church as a whole. At any stage, had the Presbyterian Church advocated separate education. I made my decision, says Mr Faulkner, on the basis of proposals put to me by representatives of the Protestant community. So it, um, the debate went on. Barry Desmond said the minister was deceiving the House. Mr Faulkner, I met representatives led by a member of the bench of bishops, including a number of representatives who, as far as I know, were of other faiths. I came to my conclusion in relation to their attitude to vocational schools without, at that time, knowing that this document from North Monaghan was in existence. The conclusion I came to in the discussions with the Protestant community are exactly similar to what I read in this document. I think I mentioned it earlier in um, how the Protestant Association was in favour of denominational uh, education so the Protestant community could have their, you know, so there could be Protestant schools and so on. There was another controversy in the aftermath of Bloody Sunday involving the Protestant Association. An attack on Mr Victor Heasty. Protestant Association representative because of his failure to attend the special meeting call to discuss the Derry ma massacre was launched by Mr Francis McCarran at Monday's meeting with Monaghan Urban Council. Mr McCarran said he felt that Mr Heasty's absence from the special meeting was not in keeping with his part as representative of the Protestant people of the town. He hoped his staying away did not represent their attitude to this brutal butchery by British soldiers. 
the Protestant representatives had been treated very fairly in this town and had 33% representation on local bodies, although they only elected 15% at the polls. County Monaghan elected two Protestant TDs with 9,000 votes between them, and though there were only 3,000 Protestant votes in the county. He congratulated Mr Fox TD and the county council members who'd come out and stated their views, and he felt Mr Heasty should have done the same. Mr Heasty, I wonder what Mr McCarran means. I am at liberty to attend meetings when I wish. I resent his remarks very much. I have no wish to attack Mr Heasty, Mr McCarran said, but does this mean you don't sympathise over the tragedy that has taken place? Mr Heasty did not answer. Mr. T. O'Reilly said the less was said in this sad and explosive situation, the better. Public representatives should be careful not to do or say anything that would worsen the situation. Mr. Heasty, I agree with you. Mr. McCarran said that on Sunday in Jerry, 13 innocent people were cut down by British thugs. He did not think there was any Irishman who did not sympathise. There had always been great harmony amongst the town people, but Mr. Heasty's absence brought discrimination into the council chamber and into the town, for evidence was there in that the businessmen closed down during the day of mourning. He went on to say the David Frost programme the previous night showed where the blame for the northern situation really lay, and he was glad to know the eyes of the world saw it. Mr. P. Trainer wouldn't said he would not like to say anything that would embitter community relations down here, but he didn't think that in the north at the present time they could blame the ordinary Protestant in the street for this type of situation that existed there at present. The blame rested squarely on the shoulders of the present Stormont regime and the British Prime Minister. Mr. Heasty, as Mr. Trainer has referred to Protestants, I must say that the Protestant people of era are law-abiding, peaceful, prosperous people obeying the law of the land at all times. And it continued on, but it was just an interesting exchange as to the sensitivities involved um, during this period. When Erskine Childers was elected uh, president, there was a uh, by-election in Monaghan. And the dramatic disclosure yesterday that members of the influential Monaghan Protestant Association will be freed from any block voting directive and encouraged to support the candidate of their choice in next Tuesday's by-election in the constituency. The two major parties in this needle contest will be interesting, intensifying their campaign in the six days before polling day. A leader of the association told me last night that the Protestant voter had been left to his own discretion this time. The Protestant vote would not be aligned to any on one single party. This is going to be the case for this by-election, and it will be the case for all future elections in the constituency, he said. From this out, it must not be assumed that there will be a block Protestant vote for any party. The association leader, who asked that his name should not be published, explained that in his view, the present this was the present feeling amongst the 3,600 Protestant voters in the Monaghan constituency. In the general election last February, Fianna Fáil got the bulk of the Protestant vote and pipped Fianna Gael by less than five, 300 first preferences. In the present campaign, Fianna Gael were hoping their law and order image together with their links with the Protestant Association at local government level in Monaghan should bring back most of that to the situation in 1969 
when Senator Billy Fox was elected to the Doyle and Fianna Gael had a first preference majority of 8-7 eight, eight, over Fianna Fáil. Asked to confirm or deny a report that his association had been approached by a government minister after the by-election writ was moved with a view to the association putting forward their own nominee, the Protestant Association leader said this is not true. The leader added that he knew of no such approach or any suggestion that if the nominee were of the right calibre, he would be pushed from the top for nomination as candidate at the Fine Gael Convention and he explained further that he did not even know Mr A. Adam Armstrong, the, Fine, the Monaghan Protestant, who suffered rejection at the Fine Gael Convention. Uh, that the Protestant Association weren't putting up a candidate, weren't um, asking their members to back anybody. However, um, it appeared they were working at a local level with Fine Gael and that certain times that their voters were more inclined to go with Fine Gael. And incidentally, Brendan Toll of Fine Gael won the by-election. In the 1974 local elections, the Protestant Association put up three, their three outgoing councillors. Edward Robinson in Castle Blaney lost his seat. William Dugan was elected in Clonus. And James Wright was elected in Monaghan. So they went from three seats to two seats on the county council. The three had messages to their messages to the electorate. Dear electors, I've been honoured by the Monaghan electorate in electing me as a member of Monaghan County Council for the last 16 years and have been elected by my fellow councillors as vice chairman for the last seven years. During this period, I've served on diverse subsidiary committees and have endeavoured to carry out my duties as a public representative to the best of my ability on behalf of all the people in the Monaghan electoral area. As a candidate in the forthcoming election, I will continue to serve the community generally in every way possible in order to ensure my re-election. I earnestly request your support on election day by giving me your number one vote. Yours faithfully, James Wright. In Clonus, I, William Dugan, being a candidate for election to Monaghan County Council, appeal for your vote and support on polling day. If elected, I will work for the continuation of the reductions in rates, speeding up of applications for improvements and repair of lanes under the Rural Improvement Scheme and the provision of a water scheme to every home in the area. If you approve of my policy, vote number one, Dugan. Castle Blaney electoral area. Dear voters, I again present myself as a candidate for election to Monaghan County Council. I've been active for the past seven years in the service of the whole community in my electoral area. Due to my representations, I've been successful, amongst other things, in securing new industry to Castle Blaney, was instrumental in having the health board appoint a doctor to the town, and urged the provision of much-needed housing for the elderly. If elected, it is my earnest endeavour to continue to work for the good of the people of the whole area, and I appeal for your number one on election day. Edward Robinson in 1978, August 1978, uh, the Protestant Association Chairman of Monaghan County Council attended a concelebrated Mass for the late Pope. This drew the ire of some free Presbyterians and caused some fuss. There was a letter to the Northern Standard 
Dear Editor, on the 18th of August edition of your paper, I read where Protestant Association Chairman of Monaghan County Council attended concelebrated Mass for the late Pope together with the Church of Ireland Minister Redmond. Having read this, my mind immediately turned to the great Protestant and Orange principles and teachings concerning the Mass and the Pope. Church of Ireland Article of Religion 31 states, Wherefore the sacrifice of, of Masses in which it was commonly said that the priests did offer Christ for the quick and the dead to have remission of pain and guilt were blasphemous fables and dangerous deceits. Presbyterian Church, Article 25, Paragraph 6. There is no other head of the Church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof. But is that Antichrist, that man of sin, the son of per perdition, that exalted himself in the church against Christ and in all that is called God. Orange Order, of which Chairman Dugan is a member, states that its members should scrupulously avoid countenancing, by his presence or otherwise, any act or ceremony of popish, popish worship, and that each member should strenuously oppose the fatal errors and doctrines of the Church of Rome and that also they should love, uphold and defend the Protestant faith. In the light of these great Protestant doctrines, the Protestant people in County Monaghan should see to it that their elected representatives and ministers of religion uphold the Protestant faith and the sacred biblical work vows which they undertook at their ordinations without fear or favour to man Henry Jordan. Henry Jordan was a... Uh, Free Presbyterian in Monaghan. So you get a report of the another report of this, and it's quite causing quite a fuss. The Protestant Association Chairman of Monaghan County Council, Mr. Willie Dugan, has refused to be ruffled by a bitter attack from Paisleyite followers over his recent attendance at a concelebrated mass for the late Pope Paul in the Republic's border town of Monaghan. And Mr. Dugan, who is a well-known farmer and has an extensive auctioneering business in the Scots House area of Monaghan, close to the local location of the Free Presbyterian Church at Corrigarry, told me yesterday, I don't intend to make any comment at this stage on the scurrilous attack. The row has flared on the eve of Dr Paisley's proposed gospel service today in Dublin's Mansion House. The attack on Mr Dugan was made in an open letter published in a Monaghan newspaper, The Northern Standard, which was written by Mr Henry Jordan, also a farmer, one of the founder members of Paisley's First Church in the Republic of Corrigarry. Mr Jordan, backing up his action in publicity attacking the County Council Chairman, says he was also critical of the attendance of a Church of Ireland church clergyman, the Reverend W. Redmond Monaghan, for his attendance, along with Mr Dugan, at the Mass for the late Pope. Mr Jordan has also declared he is calling on the Protestant people of County Monaghan to ensure that their elected representatives and ministers of religion uphold their religious principles and Protestant faith. Another piece just finished with the lines that Mr Dugan has declined to comment on the attack, but one of his neighbours said yesterday the local community was very perturbed by it and regarded Mr Jordan's outburst as a bid to stir up sectarian bitterness in the area. In the 1979 local elections, James Wright uh, held the seat in Monaghan and William Dugan in Clonus. However, in 1985, 
Dugan lost his seat narrowly, and Wright um, was elected in Monaghan. So the Protestant Association was down to one seat on the council. There were issues arose um, with the border, such as bridges being bombed um, by both the British Army and indeed by uh, by Republican the Republican movement. And um, the Protestant Association were very were part of the campaigns to get them rebuilt, and of course to have proper security at the uh, at these at these border crossings. In nineteen ninety one, election campaigns begin, with the local elections for county councils and corporations now just over two months away. The initial stages of campaigning has begun. During the week, it was announced that respected urban council employee and MART officer Walter Pringle was standing in the Clonus electoral area as an independent with the backing of the Protestant Association. Prior to the last local elections, the last the late Willie Dugan Scott's house represented the Clonus electoral area on behalf of the Protestant Association for many years and was narrowly beaten for a seat on the last occasion after getting over 700 first preference votes. Walter Pringle confirmed he is standing for election on this occasion. He said that he was approached by the Protestant Association shortly after the last local elections and his selection, along with that of Noel Maxwell in North Monaghan, was confirmed by the Protestant Association at a meeting last week. Walter Pringle has worked for eight years as a bus driver and for the past 10 years has been an employee of Clonus UDC. In recent years, He's a been a prominent figure in the life of the local farming community, being the secretary of Clonus Cooperative Mart. It has been widely rumoured in recent weeks that prominent IFA man Seymour Crawford might be another Fine Gael candidate in the Clonus electoral area. And in those, those 1991 local elections, Pringle was elected in Clonus, and Noel Maxwell was elected in Monaghan. So the Protestant Association was back up to two councillors. In the 1999 local elections, both Maxwell and Pringle lost their seats. Although they were running as independents, they were backed by the Protestant Association. And that was the last time the Protestant Association um, backed candidates in an election, as far as I'm aware. So really, fascinating group representing a minority in Monaghan and one that had you know that kept elected representatives for so long on Monaghan County Council and a number of UDCs in Monaghan. Thanks for listening thanks to everybody who's subscribed to the podcast if you haven't done please do so and tell your friends etc about it thanks to everybody who's subscribed to the Patreon to support the podcast and the website is patreon.com forward slash electionnet. Thank you.